Thank you, Kevin. I felt like I was back home in the hills of Tennessee there for just, just for a few minutes. That's always good. Um, we are in Matthew chapter 22 today. We've been looking at the kingdom of God and... Uh, we looked at uh, Matthew 21, the parable of the vineyard, last time. And I believe, I believe that is online now, so if you want to go back and, and check that message. And, he, and Jesus is continuing his conversation with the chief priests and the Pharisees. You see that in Matthew 21, verse 45. The chief priests and Pharisees heard his parables and perceived he was speaking about them. So they knew, these first century Jewish leaders knew he was zeroing in on them. And chapter 22, verse 1 says, Jesus again spoke to them in parables, or uh, King James says he answered them, the same them. So it's part of the same conversation with the same people. And chapter 22, verse 2 says, The kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fat calves have all been slaughtered, everything is ready. So come to the wedding feast. Verse 5, But they paid no attention, and one went off to his farm, and another to his business, and some even seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. Verse 7, The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers, and he burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Verse 9, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, good and bad, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. I'll just remind you, this is the last week of Jesus' life, he has entered into Jerusalem on a donkey. Uh, and now this is about the second or third day of, of the final week of his life. On Friday, he's going to be crucified. He has been increasingly engaging the Jewish leaders in parables and questions and conversation. He has went into the temple and cleansed it of the money changers. He has cursed the fig tree, a symbol of Israel, and said, no one will ever eat fruit from you again. This is all in that final week. And now he's telling them a parable that there's the kingdom that is now coming in the Old Covenant, there was a kingdom of Israel, which was God's kingdom in the Old Testament. 
you wanted to know God, you went to Israel. But now their kingdom of God is going to be different. This, the kingdom is the kingdom of God's son. There's a wedding feast. And it says the kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And many of those who were invited, these first century Jews, remember this is first century, the, the, the kingdom of the son and his wedding indicates that there's going to be a new covenant, a wedding covenant. This is a wedding and a wedding feast. And it's going to be a happy celebration. Uh, the kingdom of God in the New Testament is a happy celebration. There ought to be feasting and joy and gifts and happiness and embracing and congratulating and high fives. And that's the atmosphere of the kingdom in the New Testament age. And the, one of the things I did want to point out is that this is not only a new covenant and a new people and a new day. There's even a new day of worship to, to show this first day of the week. They went, uh, when Jesus in his resurrection appeared to the people, he, uh, he appeared to his disciples on the first day of the week. He rose on the first day of the week. He appeared to them on the first day of the week. Pentecost was on the first day of the week. So that, that there is this new age that is dawning. And it's about the son. The king has prepared a wedding feast for his son. And it's interesting that the Jewish leadership in particular and the Jews as a whole are presented here as those who are invited, but verse 5 says they paid no attention. One went to his farm, another to his business, and some even seized these evangelists and killed them. So the Jewish leadership and the people of the first century are not presented in a very good light here. Moses wrote way back in Deuteronomy chapter 31 and verse 27. He says, I know how rebellious and stubborn you are. <laughs> he says, behold, even today, while I am yet alive with you, you have been rebellious against the Lord. How much more after my death? Deuteronomy 31, 27. He said, I, it's not going to be long until I'm going to die. And you have just been rebellious the whole time I've been with you for 40 years in the wilderness. And with that kind of attitude and that kind of disobedience, what are you going to be like after I'm gone? That's what Moses is saying to him. And that's their history. And by the way, I want to add this. Jesus is pointing out something here about the patience of God. Sometimes you read 
or hear people criticize the Old Testament. Oh, the God of the Old Testament. God is, in the Old Testament, is so angry. God is so mean. Um, and the, and the, contrast that with the God of the New Testament, Jesus of the New Testament. Two different gods. Jesus, in this parable, is defending the God of the Old Testament. And he's pointing out how patient he is. He sent servants. He sent prophets. Some of, well, we're just too busy, O king, but hey, you, got, you guys have a nice time. And if you keep coming back, we're going to kill your servants. And finally, at the end of the old covenant age, God said, okay, that's enough. Now we're going to destroy their city and bring to account all these old, the old covenant age and the Jewish leaders and those who follow them. So we can interpret this parable. There are five or, five or six things to just put up. I think we, have, we can put these on the board here. What is the wedding feast a picture of in the parable? Verse 2. The kingdom of heaven is compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. So the wedding feast is like the kingdom or the kingdom is like a wedding feast. Also in verse 2, the king would be pictured here as God the Father and of course the Son is Jesus Christ. In verse 4, he sent other servants. He's, in verse 3, he sent servants and then he sent other servants saying, tell those invited, everything is ready. Who are those servants? Well, they are prophets, but in particular, they are, verse 4, New Testament apostles and evangelists who are going to invite the Jews to honor God's Son in a new covenant and a new age. In verse 4 to 6, the ones who are invited are first century Jews in particular. Verse 4, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who are invited, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and fat calves are slaughtered, everything is ready, come to the wedding feast. Verse 5, but they paid no attention, went off one to his farm, another to his business. And the rest seized his servants and treated them shamefully and killed them. Now, who are these who are indifferent and even hostile toward the king's Son, and do not wish to honor him. Who are these? These are these first century Jews. They were abusive to Christ and his apostles. It was when Jesus, in the face of truth, in the face of evidence, that the Jewish people in the first century looked at Jesus and says, we don't care. He raised Lazarus from the dead in John 11, and what did they do? Wow, that's a lot of power and you must be the Messiah. No, they went out in John 11 after he raised Lazarus from the dead and plotted to kill both Jesus and Lazarus. That's bizarre. And that's real resistance. Stephen in Acts chapter 7 verse 51 in preaching to the people in Jerusalem, the leaders in particular, 
climaxed his sermon with these words, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. Well, now that's a good way to end a sermon. And not likely to get much of an invitation going on that one. How did, and what did they do to Stephen, who was so truthful and straightforward? They stoned him. So this is first century Judaism. These are the Pharisees, the chief priests. And then, of course, in verse 7... The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murders and burned their city. That is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. Josephus was a Jewish soldier and a priest in the first century who witnessed the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 A.D. by the Romans. The Romans surrounded it and besieged it for several months and the people within it starved. Some tried to escape. They would catch them. The Romans would catch the people who were inside the city and they would crucify them on trees that were just outside the walls of the city so people standing on the walls could see the crucifixions up to, Josephus says, up to 500 per day. So that even today you go to Jerusalem and it's very sparse, very few trees around the city of Jerusalem. Jesus, in Luke 19.41, going into the city for the first time on the last week of his life, it says they came up on a hill and were about to descend down and go into the city. And it says, Jesus beheld the city and wept. And the word weep in the Greek is klao, to wail, to sob and convulse. Because he knew what was about to happen. There is a Greek word which means to weep gently. It's used in John eleven thirty five when Jesus was at the tomb of Lazarus. And it says Jesus wept. Shortest verse in the Bible, y'all know that. But that's, a, that's the Greek word dakru. It means tears came down his cheeks. Very silent. You wouldn't even know it. But the word that is used when he beheld the city and wept over it, Luke 19, 41, that means he was letting out these great wails. He was weeping loudly. It would be like embarrassing. The disciples probably looked at each other and, and was like, Okay, Jesus is losing it here. But he knew what was coming to this city. A million, Josephus says a million, over a million Jews died or were enslaved. And they took the stones of the temple that they tore down and built the Colosseum in Rome that you can see to this day. And they took the veil of, out of the temple 
and sent it to the emperor's palace that it became a curtain, a common curtain in his home. This is the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD and Jesus predicts it right here. God sent the Romans and he destroyed those murderers and he burned their city. And then there are those who do come. This is in verses 8 to 10. He said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready. Those invited were not worthy. Those invited, the first invitation went out to the Jew first. But they didn't come. In verse, verse 9, Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out, verse 10, and gathered all whom they found, bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now these are the ones who are willing to honor God's Son. These are the ones who are grateful to be here. This is the age we live in today in which you are invited to come to the banquet. The banquet of God's grace where Jesus has died on the cross and forgiveness is now available, full and free. Luke tells this same parable and if you put these two one in Matthew and in Luke's version side by side Luke adds this in Luke 14 21 he said to his servant go quickly to the streets and lanes and bring in the poor bring in the crippled and the blind and the lame in other words these are all people who can't do anything for themselves these, are, these people are very needy. I stopped at a coffee shop one day this week, and when I was walking in, I saw a guy sitting at a picnic table, which was just outside the coffee shop. And I, I just he had his back to everybody. And so I, I walked on by, went on in the coffee shop, read, read for a little bit, and then on the way out, I saw he was still sitting there. And as I looked, he, he had his head in his hands like he was very depressed. And he was in a wheelchair. He looked homeless. And I got a little closer, and he had no legs. So I just walked up to him, and I touched him on the shoulder, and I said, Hey, I just saw you over here and uh, just want to make sure you're okay if you need anything. And I had reached in my billfold and pulled out a $20 bill. And I said, hey, I uh, want to give you this. And he looked up at it and he said, a $20 bill? Wow! Now, I'm not saying that to promote myself here or to get y'all to come up and say, hey, I'll take a 20. Uh, none of that. I'm just saying, when I gave him that 20, he was so happy. He, I, I mean, I've had a 20 before. Didn't make me that happy. But he, had, he was so grateful for the slightest gift. See, when somebody has nothing, it makes you happy to receive anything. The difference in the second group and the first group was 
you had the people who they had to go to their farms. They had to go to their businesses. They had stuff. But here's these lame, the crippled, those who don't have anything. And you give, and, and when the king brings them in to the kingdom and they sit at the table and they didn't have to bring any food, they didn't have to prepare anything, just come and eat. They're like, man, how did this happen to me? Now that's the way kingdom citizens will feel. Man, how did I get here? What a joy. What a surprise that the king would let me in his kingdom and sit at his table to honor his son. Do you ever feel like that? That's, that's the nature of this kingdom. It's, it's surprising. And so, and I, I told Stephen, I said, I want to pray for you, but I, I just wanted to share the gospel with you. And so I talked to him about how Jesus died for his sins and, you know, quoted John 3.16 and, and uh, said, uh, and so you, you can go to heaven when you die. And <laughs> he said, uh, he said, uh, well, I do look forward to greener pastures. <laughs> so I don't know what exactly that means, but I'm sure that it means something good. But that was my attempt at evangelism this week. Not great. I'll be honest with you. I'm not Billy Graham. But I did catch the idea of that gratitude. I won't forget that. And as I walked away, I said, Lord, please help me to be grateful for every little thing you give to me. That's kingdom happiness. There's another section here. I think we have time to do this. He says in verse 11, And the king came in to look at the guests, and he saw a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, How did you get in here without a wedding garment? See, one of the things that a benefactor would do when he had a large banquet, especially a wedding, is he would provide not only the food, but the clothing, the attire. Every This is the kingdom, see. Everything is given to you, provided by the king. You are just simply to come and honor the son. You're to come and receive the... the the benefactor. And here he comes and he and he says, Well, you just come in your in your own robe. And and what this shows us is that there is a robe of righteousness that every person in the kingdom must receive as a gift. Isaiah 61, verse 10. I think we can put this on the screen. Isaiah 61 verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul will exult in my God for he's clothed me with the garments of salvation. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. He's covered me with the robe of righteousness. The qualification that it takes to be in the kingdom is a free gift to you. There is a qualification, but it's part of his 
gifts to you. And that robe of righteousness is pictured here and it shows that every single person in the kingdom must come not based on his right, his own righteousness but on the righteousness that is given to him as a gift from God. Amen? It's free. So uh, what do we learn from this parable? Well, very quickly, we learned that this kingdom is about Jesus Christ and the honor of His Son. We learned that to enter it, you must accept this robe of righteousness, that without it, as He puts it here, verse 13, the king said to the attendants, Bind this man hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In other words, that robe of righteousness is a necessity, it's not an option. But it is a gift. It's free. It means you don't come without that. And a third thing is that those who come into the kingdom, whether they be Jew or Gentile, crippled or healthy, man or woman, I want you to look carefully at verse 14. Matthew adds this phrase. For many are called, but few are chosen. Why does he add that? Remember the context is first century Judaism. The Jews thought, we're the chosen people. Ah, but many are called. Few are the true elect, are the chosen people. How do you know who's chosen? They come into the kingdom to honor Jesus, the Son. That's how you know who they are. And many of those first century Jews were called. But they were not the true elect. God's always had among the Jews, descendants from Abraham, two, two lines. Abraham had Isaac, but Abraham also had Ishmael. But in Isaac shall your seed be called. And then Isaac had Jacob, but he also had Esau. And it, but it, and through Jacob, and th- then through the 12 tribes that came from Jacob, whereas Esau became the Edomites and Ishmael became the Arabs. So just because you're a blood descent from Abraham doesn't mean you're the chosen people. I had a lady one time tell me, she said, I believe every Jew will be saved. Uh, and I said, what about Judas? She said, I believe somehow even Judas will be saved. Well, I understand where she's coming from, but that's not how election works. How do you know who are the chosen people? And whether they're Jew or Gentile, it's those who come into the kingdom and receive a robe of righteousness. Many are called, but but few are the chosen. And I think that's primarily first century. I think as you get out of the first century and and, and the church grows through the ages that it's more like Matthew 8, 11. Many will come from the east and the west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Few in the first century, few Jews. Many of them are called, but few of them were truly elect. But as you move outward into history, many will come, Jesus said, and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So when you look at this, the, the desire to honor the Lord Jesus Christ, accepting a robe of righteousness, 
and recognizing those who do that are the true chosen people. I hope you've done that. I hope you have entered the kingdom. And we are planning a baptismal service. And so if you have put your faith in Christ and you have you do desire to honor Christ and you've accepted the gift of righteousness, uh, we're planning a baptism, so let us know if you would like to join us and participate in that ceremony. Um, it's a wonderful celebration. And after all, it is a wedding feast. Let's have a good time at church. Amen. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the day. What a beautiful day. And thank you so much for the kingdom. Oh, Lord, thank you so much. It's free and wonderful and bountiful. And thank you so much that everything that we need to qualify for it has already been given to us through Jesus Christ. May he be praised and honored. And it's in his name we ask it. Amen. Amen.